0: Welcome to empowering homeschool conversations. This is a weekly broadcast put on by sped homeschool Which is a nonprofit that empowers families to teach children with specialized educational needs at home and we are starting off a new year with um, a new a new monthly theme, which we do a monthly theme every every month, and this month we're focusing on teaching methodologies. And tonight I'm super excited because we're going to be talking about unschooling. It's um, something that I, I told our guest kind of creeped up on me, and I'm so glad that it did. And um, so tonight we have the privilege of having Dr. Peter Gray with us, and um, I just want to welcome you, Peter, and thank you for just taking time to share with our audience and um, just the wealth of information you have to share. And I know we we can't even begin to cover it in an, in an hour, but, um, but I'm excited that that you're able to share a, a little bit and just encourage our audience to maybe a teaching methodology that they have been scared of or didn't think might work for their child. So, so thanks for joining us tonight.
1: Very happy to be here. Yeah.
0: Um, Pull that off. Um, so I'm just going to read a quick introduction and um, and then also I want to remind our audience, if you're watching, that you can interact with us live. And if you have comments or questions, you can put those in the feed either on YouTube or um, on Facebook, and we'll see those and be able to incorporate those into our conversation. So um, Dr. Peter Gray is a research professor of psychology at Boston College who has conducted and published research in, um, oh boy, neuroendocrinology, developmental um, psychology, anthropology, and education. His recent research focuses on the roles in human evolution and how children educate themselves through play and exploration when they are free to do so. He's expanded on these in his book, Free to Learn. Which is an awesome book. I'd have to highly recommend it. Um, his research includes surveys of grown unschoolers and graduates of a school designed for self-directed education. He also authors a regular blog called Freedom to Learn for Psychology Today magazine. His research findings have led him to become an advocate for self-directed education, and he's a founding member and president of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. So. Um, so much, and it's it's been a lifelong dedication of yours, and I'm just um, excited that you're able to share some of your wisdom with us tonight. So as we kind of get started, um, what is some, I guess you have probably lots of it, but um, just to kind of touch the tip of the iceberg on research-based information on learning and social development of children versus what happens in more of a structured school environment? So what, what are the differences?
1: And yeah, uh, i you go with that. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm really interested in the question of how children naturally learn. And mm-hmm. the ways that children naturally learn are nothing like what we try to do in school. And in fact, <laughs> yes. um, schools actively repress the natural ways that children learn. I mean, children are designed to learn by exploring. You know, they're just naturally curious about the world around them. Mm-hmm. They're designed to learn by playing. They play, you know, curiosity. You know, in, one way to think about it is there's sort of two parts to education acquiring knowledge and acquiring skills. Curiosity is the drive for knowledge. Children want to know what's going on around them. They want to understand it. They're constantly... You know, as soon as a baby can move, you've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to baby proof your house because the mm-hmm. baby wants to get into everything, right? Why, yeah. why does the baby want to get in there? Not to be naughty, but to understand it, to explore it, to figure it out. You can't stop children from learning, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, unless you lock them away in a closet. And so yes. that, that's the, that's curiosity and play. Mm-hmm children play if they have ample time to play they play at all the basic skills that human beings have to learn so curiosity is how you acquire knowledge play is how you acquire skills mm. well of course in school curiosity cannot be the motive for learning because you've got 20 or 30 kids in a the class they there's no possible way they're all going to be curious about the same thing at the same time. And the yeah. teacher has to be sure they're doing the same thing. And, mm. and so what you have in the classroom is not the questions of the kids that matter. And so the kids learn their questions don't count. What counts is the yeah. questions of the curriculum, mm. which nine times out of ten, even the teacher isn't all that interested in. This is just the question <laughs> exactly. of the curriculum. And so right. children learn not to be curious. So we drive right. that natural tendency out of children in our schools. Similarly, if play occurs at all at school, it's recess. It's a break from learning. It's not regarded as learning. It's it's right. something that there's kind of the belief. Yeah, kids need a little break from learning before they get back to the serious task of sitting in their seats and learning. So. Mm-hmm so the difference is stark and I don't think it's an accident that the difference is so stark because Mm. schools were really never developed for the purpose that we would like them to serve today that most people would like them to serve today schools were really the schools that we have today um really began you know centuries really began as as in the 17th century it goes really way back Mm. the first kinds of schools that looked like schools today and they were religious schools that protestant religious schools and the purpose of them was to teach obedience and to indoctrinate children in at that time in biblical doctrine so that's the kind of school you would set up if that's your purpose (laughs) to -hmm. teach obedience and to indoctrinate children in something that you believe is truth with a capital t and um and and then schools got started and they became, they were ultimately taken over by states, by governments, where now mm-hmm. the goal became not the doctrine of religion, but the doctrine of the state. It was sort of yes. to teach nationalist mm-hmm. beliefs. And then they've, with time, we've sort of expanded our view. We no longer think of schools as to indoctrinate children either in religion or or in, um, in nationalist beliefs, although we still do a little bit of that. Mm-hmm but we have all these other agendas but we haven't changed the way we do school we still do it in the same way where Mm -hmm. you know the teacher tells you information presents information and you have to feed it back and if you think about it the only way that you can fail in our standard schools is by not doing what you're told to do Mm -hmm. and the only way you can pass is by at least most of the time doing what you're told to do And so it's still the case that the (laughs) primary lesson is obedience, obedience to authority. Do what you're told to do and you will pass. No matter how boring it is, no matter whether it's going to last with you or not, no matter whether you already know it or not, no matter whether it's just a total waste of time for you, you've got to learn to do what you're told to do. And so, I, you know, most people who go into teaching today don't think that their purpose in teaching is to teach obedience, and um, and indoctrinate children. They, they talk about, I want children to be curious. I want them to love learning. I want them to be critical <laughs> thinkers. I want all of this and that. But if if that were really the purpose of schools, schools would look nothing like what they look like today. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. what happens is teachers come in with uh, – young teachers may come in with very ideal ideas of what they want to do. but yeah. They're there. They are. They're faced with 30 kids. Mm-hmm. The primary thing they have to do is keep order, <laughs> You know, or they'll get right. fired if they don't yeah. keep order. Mm-hmm. They've got to make sure the kids pass certain tests. Right. No way can they promote curiosity. No way can mm-hmm. they allow the kids mm-hmm. to play in their own natural ways. And this is more, more true today than it was even in the past, because we've become more insistent about testing. We've mm-hmm. developed a stronger hierarchical control. It used to be the teacher's... Teachers had more authority in the classroom and they could loosen up and they could Mm -hmm. do fun things. And now many of those teachers who used to do that are quitting because they're finding they can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. They're being directed that you've got to spend time preparing these kids for these standardized exams. So that's that's standard education. And that's nothing like the way children naturally learn. And in fact, it suppresses the way children naturally. So what I've been interested Mm -hmm. in is well what would happen if we didn't do that we if instead of that we let kids learn in their natural ways Mm -hmm. and we we adults simply provided the kind of environment and opportunities that allows children to do that what would happen Mm -hmm. if you did that well, it turns out that been, this idea has been around for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there are schools that have been operating for many years. Sudbury Valley has been operating for over 50 years, which is where I did my first research uh, with this principle. This is a place for self-directed education where children mm-hmm. are playing and exploring and following their own interests and socializing with one another and mm-hmm. in the process becoming educated. And then, so I did. A, I did a study many years ago with the graduates of that school, and then there have all there are also this growing number of homeschoolers, as you said in the yes. introduction. Mm-hmm. So homeschoolers who are saying, well, instead of, instead of trying to do school at home, instead of you know oh, giving exactly. my kids a. Uh, the same kind of curriculum which my kids apparently aren't very interested in why don't i um let them do what they're interested in you know mm-hmm. and yeah. and instead of fighting with them to make them do this yes. other stuff why don't i go with them and say mm-hmm. okay this is what you're interested in you know if i can yeah. be of any help let me know you know that's uh, that's sort of what unschooling is and so mm-hmm. Well, it turns out there are there are quite a lot of unschoolers in this country. I mean, proportion wise, it's small, but it's mm-hmm. still, you know, I figured out that um, that there's something. Actually, there's a big increase now in homeschoolers and in unschoolers because of COVID. But the, right. the, even before COVID, it was something between three and five percent of. Yes. Um, American school children are being homeschooled, and of those, based on government data, I figure that about 20% of those, so it's something like one percent, something roughly around one percent mm-hmm. of children in the United States are being unschooled. That's a that's right. a small percentage, but that's a huge number, and if you, you know.
0: Right, and you also talk about as relaxed homeschooling, which I think and, some, and some people are little more all gradients. welcoming. And, <laughs> there are a
1: lot of people who are really doing unschooling, but they don't want to call it that. Right. You know, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know that sounds to them like a like a like they're being neglectful, or they might think other people are think, thinking mm-hmm. they're being mm-hmm. neglectful. So yeah. there is a there's a range of it. I think almost, I think the majority of homeschoolers are they're not doing except in maybe a very few cases, they're not doing as much school-like school as the the kids would be having if they were going to a typical standard school. So no matter how you're doing homeschooling, there's more unschooling going on. (laughs) There's more time for children to do their Mm -hmm. own things, to play, to explore, to follow their own interests. And even when you're supposedly doing the curriculum, you know – It's very hard if you're a parent, and this is your child, Mm -hmm. to just override your child's interest. You at least try to sort of focus it around your child's interest so that so that the mm-hmm. child becomes more engaged in it and the child mm-hmm. wants to do this because you're you're figuring out some way, all right, we've got to do geography or whatever it is you've got to do because mm-hmm. you're thinking you're doing school. So right. let's at least talk about the geography and see if there's some aspect of geography that you might be interested in, mm-hmm. you know, and and maybe this is just, you know, maybe you've already got an interest in geography and maybe it comes from a computer game you're playing and maybe mm-hmm. it's this or that, you know, but so it can be focused more on how on the child's own interests, it's a little bit. It's definitely more child centered. That's not totally unschooling when the parent is involved that way, right. but it's in the direction of it compared mm-hmm. to at school. Well, so that's the basic difference. The basic difference is a that,
0: while too. That, they, that it's like if you dabble in just a little bit, that right. you the water feels more comfortable to then take the next step. To, I think that's to move right. Towards that unschooling.
1: That's right. I did a study well, along with Gina. Gina Riley is a colleague who's at um, Hunter College, and, and I did a study of um, unschooling families where we uh, surveyed the parents. There were 300, mm-hmm. 323 parents, if I remember right, in that who responded to our survey, uh, mostly moms, of course, yes, of course. <laughs> and um <laughs> And we asked them, among other things, the trajectory that led them to unschooling. Mm -hmm. And relatively few of them started with unschooling. The typical, some of them started with homeschooling. And then they realized that not only were their kids bored with the with the curriculum that they were trying to teach, but they were bored with it. And so it sort of devolved. And then they learned, well then, so they let the kids do more and more of their own thing. And then they learned, oh, there's a term for this. It's called unschooling. And then they felt a little better about it. We're not just being neglectful here. We're doing unschooling. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the uh, one route. you, you probably even more common was to actually start off at least with your first child in a typical school, and that didn't mm-hmm. work out. And so then the, so then you take the child out for homeschooling, and that doesn't work out. And then you try unschooling, and lo and behold,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: child is happy. The child's eyes brighten up again. The child seems to be learning. Um, yeah. And then the study, another study that Gina Riley and I did was of the graduate, former, you know, people who yes. grew up unschooled. We identified mm-hmm. 75 grown unschoolers and asked them about their experiences when they were being unschooled, asked them about how they were did they go on to higher education or not? And right. if they did, how did they get in without mm-hmm. having done any school before? Right. <laughs> how did they survive it once they got in? Mm-hmm. And um, for those who didn't go on, why didn't they? Couldn't they, is it possible? You know, couldn't you do it or didn't you want to do it? And if you didn't want to do it, why didn't you want to do it? Mm-hmm. We asked them about their careers. So what we basically found is that, They can go, they don't seem to have any problem going on to higher education if they want to do it. If they're going into a career that requires it, they go on and they they figure out how what they they have to do to get into the college they want to get into. You know, they figure it out. Mm -hmm. They they haven't taken any of the required courses, right? (laughs) But they, they say, (laughs) but in some sense, this is kind of refreshing to the administrator, the, the, uh, you know, the, at least in some colleges you know you're right. you're looking at all these students that uh you know they've all got a's on their on their yeah. transcripts they've, they've all they've all done all the things you're supposed to do to get into uh-huh. college especially if you're if you're at an elite college now here's somebody who says oh i I don't have any transcript. I haven't taken any courses. <laughs> you know, but here's what I've done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here's why I want to go to your college. And, right. and you know, that's kind of interesting. This person is different. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, So if if the a
0: lot of the colleges now are asking for portfolios,
1: yeah, they're asking for portfolios, and the unschoolers are generally are very good at portfolios, and they're also Mm -hmm. generally very good at interviews, and they typically can get an interview because Mm -hmm. you know the this is one way to get to know them, and if Mm -hmm. you know where you don't have the typical things, and and if if uh, it's a school that requires the SAT or the ACT. The kids prepare for it, and they do fine on it. It doesn't take a heck of a lot of work to prepare for it. They figure out a way to there, – there are, you know, even, even even kids who are going through the regular school, they take the SAT – they study the SAT prep book, and that's how they learn to do it. Um, and, and, um, and so these kids do the same thing. And maybe they have to study a little bit of math to bring themselves up to the point where they can do it, but it doesn't – it doesn't take years and years and hours and hours and tears of doing it. You're a, right. you're a, you know, you're 15, no problem, 16, fresh with all years the, old, the and the you want to do the rest it. Of
0: them. So, yes. yeah.
1: <laughs> so that's so that's what we found regarding higher education. What we found regarding careers was interesting. That yeah. that uh, at least ha- about half of them, I should say, we could see a very direct relationship between what they told us they were doing as a child what they were passionate about playing at and what their career was today so Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon in self-directed education and in whether it's at a democratic school like the Sudbury Valley School or whether it's in unschooling Mm -hmm. for children to play at a lot of different things and they get then at some point some of them not everyone but some of them develop a real passionate interest and they really focus on that and they become Mm -hmm. good at it Mm -hmm. and some of them actually start making money at it while they're still kids (laughs) this is not too uncommon becoming i think even more and more common today Mm -hmm. with the internet and you can be an entrepreneur you can start selling your Mm -hmm. stuff you could start you know and and they've in some sense then got a head start on their career and we found we found about fifty percent of that seventy five, about half of them, were in careers that they had passionate interests in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that were direct extensions of what they had done, um, what they had been doing in play as children.
0: So they're not the ones that graduate from college and go. I still don't. And know often those
1: know are not the ones do. who graduate <laughs> from the college. Most often, <laughs> right, are exactly. not. that some of them are because they, what they wanted to do and, to, requires college sort of as a yeah. license. But mm-hmm. I'll, you know, just give you just to give you an example or two. So one of the yeah. one of these uh, young adults, he was uh, he was about twenty or twenty one when we did the study. And he was an assistant movie produ- producer in Hollywood, assistant to a movie producer in Hollywood. His dream is to become a movie producer. Well, mm. he's a kid like a lot of kids today who was making YouTubes, you know, right. yeah. and who uh, got good at it. And mm. he, um, you know, and he was attracting an audience. And he, mm. um, and he discovered at one point, I, f- I believe he was living in Chicago, and he discovered at one point that this major m- movie was going to be made in, sh- in his city. And he volunteered to help. <laughs> and yeah. so he went out and he helped. He was probably about 16. And, um, and, and the person he was helping was so impressed with him that they invited him back to hollywood at a good salary while wow. <laughs> well, he's still a teenager uh-huh. and so you know that's just one example mm-hmm. uh, take another example there was one of the graduates was um well he he described his interests as a child as um he had three interests one was nature hiking he spent as much time uh-huh. as he could out in the woods hiking uh-huh. A second interest was photography. And he got really interested mm-hmm. in photography. And by the age of 15, he said he was already selling some photographs. Oh. But then also around age 15, he got interested in hang gliding. <laughs> so, oh, <wow. laughs> And from hang gliding, he got interested in flying fixed-wing fixed, fixed uh, wing aircrafts. Mm-hmm. And he, I guess he was making enough money from his photography that he could afford to take lessons. <laughs> <expensive> now money. <laughs> his career is a... As an aerial nature photographer, combines wow. all three of his interests, yeah. <laughs> and That's I amazing. happened to I found his website. It's actually beautiful stuff mm. that he does. So, you know, those are just two examples. Maybe those are the the two most exotic examples. But I could go through many many other examples where right. kids, you know, jobs that you would never think of if you had exactly. just been doing school. You know, you'd think, yeah, you know, what else is there to do? There's, you know, if, I, if, I, uh, if I'm aiming for a high-status job, I guess I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. Or yeah. be, but mm-hmm. who would think of being an aerial nature photographer, right? right. <laughs> or, exactly. or, you know, so, that's, uh, so you, have, you have time mm-hmm. to learn what you like to do. And you have time to become good at it mm-hmm. and um exactly. it turns out that knowing what you want to do and being good at it is actually a, a lot more important as a career qualification than what mm-hmm. degree you have yes. <laughs> it's not the case that all employers understand that yeah but a growing mm-hmm. number mm-hmm. are le- are learning to understand that
0: Great. Right. yeah and Yeah. And that self-confidence that comes with it. I think, you know, our education system, so, especially with kids that struggle, which is what our nonprofit helps parents to teach kids that struggle with the typical academics. You know, all we want to focus is on, and this is what you do bad, you know, and where unschooling just unlocks that this is what you do good, and you could do it all day. (laughs) Right. And, And work on that. I know my daughter at 16, she just won a design contest. She's been designing and doing drawing but also fashion and she designed a pair of shoes that are now being produced in Holland and they're going to be mass produced Um, but it's something that she wants to go into fashion design and what an awesome thing to add to her portfolio
1: (laughs) yes indeed yeah
0: but you just never know unless you give them that time because they can't develop those skills overnight or in between all these classes
1: them. Right, yeah I mean we're we're the, in this day and age more so than ever in the past we're keeping kids so busy would be between school and homework and all those after school mm-hmm. activities adult directed after school activities that they tend to be put into. Um, it really they really don't have time to develop hobbies and figure out what they really love to do interestingly with covid um Mm -hmm. kids are some kids are having time and so i I, i'm hearing from parents who are discovering that hey you know my kid is not wasting time home from school my kid has actually um Mm -hmm. gotten Mm -hmm. into this and that and i'm i'm thinking of not sending my kid back to school i'm seeing i'm seeing things in my child that i didn't realize were there and Mm -hmm. um so unfortunately the covid prevents them from going out and playing with friends at least in close distance but it doesn't but it it gives them the gift of time and Mm -hmm. um you know, there were all these dire fears about how children were going to suffer as a result of COVID. So far, the studies that have been done, despite what you read in the paper, the actual mm-hmm. studies that have been done show that, that that all in all, children are doing better psychologically mm-hmm. since yeah. COVID than before and why it's because their schedule has slowed down. They're, They don't have the stress of school. Mm -hmm. School is is the number one stress for kids. People don't recognize that. But Mm -hmm. I've published data that shows that, not my own research, but other people's research, that Mm -hmm. shows that the rate of emotional breakdowns, the rate of psychological break, the rate of depression, anxiety, and even of suicide Mm -hmm. is much higher during the school year than it is when kids are off from school in Mm -hmm. the summer. And I know of at least one state's data, preliminary data, showing that the rate of suicide among school-age kids had, has dropped during the COVID period when they're not wow. in school. Everybody's afraid of all the psychological damage of this, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't want to. I, wa- I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, be too rosy about this i mean clearly many people are suffering from covid and many kids are too mm-hmm. and many kids are suffering from being at home in families that don't get along very well with one right. another and yes. so on and so forth mm-hmm. absolutely i don't want to understate that mm-hmm. but we did a study through the let grow organization uh, across social classes a large-scale study it's what it's published as one of my blog posts um on on my um Psychology Today blog. Anybody who's interested can look it up. But we surveyed a large number of families um, and what we found uh, across race, across social class, uh, across geography, we found that the kids were and the parents were reporting the kids to be less anxious (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and reporting them to do well and parents were reporting that they were having far less conflicts with their children than they had when the kids were in school yes and a lot of people they hear that that's surprising to them because they think well my well you know if your kids are home all day and you're home all day isn't that going to create conflicts and I'm sure it does create some conflicts, but I think that most of the conflicts that parents have with kids are about school. Yeah. It has, you got to get again. the kid up in the mm-hmm. morning. Kids are sleep deprived. They're not designed mm-hmm. to get up at seven in the morning to mm-hmm. get ready for the bus or six mm-hmm. in the morning for some kids. They're just not, especially teenagers are. Yeah,
0: No. So you <laughs> got to get we them didn't out. Start of school until when I, my kids were teenagers.
1: <laughs> you got to get them out of bed. You gotta, and then when they're home, you got to nag them to do their homework, you've got to mm-hmm. make sure. because you. You're held, you as the parent are held responsible if the kids don't do their homework right. in, in yeah, today's world. So you get blamed by the teachers. You get called in. You're sitting in that little seat, and the teachers scolding you. You know, in a, not in the same not in the same nasty way that they might scold your kid, but they're still they're still clearly blaming you for the fact that your kid it is not doing the homework. Exactly. And so then you've got to... So so of course there are conflicts between between kids and parents and and a lot of parents were reporting oh my child is so well rested and I and it has, and part of it is that they're just getting enough sleep now so right, exactly. you know that, that was one of the things that we learned in the study this would be true for homeschooling of any kind too that mm-hmm. the, you don't have to go on a certain schedule you can no, you can yes. you know you, you the kids can sleep on their own biological rhythm and they can get mm-hmm. enough sleep that way and they are are better people as a result of that.
0: Exactly. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, I think what the negative reports we're seeing from the schools is that kids aren't meeting those standardized test standards, and they're all falling behind as this average that we're all, right. all the schools achieve for, right. which... When you're unschooling or you're, you're homeschooling, you don't do that.
1: You don't worry about that. And, and I think that it would be good if for those people who do have kids in school, if they could realize this is not really such a big problem. And one of the reasons I know it's not such a big problem is I've seen this over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You'll find an unschooled kid or a kid going to Sudbury Valley. And at some point they decide for whatever reason that they want to go to a regular school. And there's and there's often good reasons. They just want to try it out. Their friends are yeah. there. They think they might be missing something. Mm-hmm. They wanna, you know, they wanna go they wanna be in high school and have the prom and this is part of the cultural right. thing. So they decide to go to school. And here they haven't taken any of the previous courses at all. They've never taken a standardized test. Right. And yet they go to school and they go right into what grade they would be in, and they do fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they catch right up. You know, right. it's not like you're falling I think there's two reasons that they catch up. One is that the truth of the matter is everybody in school forgets most of that stuff anyway.
0: Exactly. Right. You're I mean, really you're just
1: <laughs> learning it for the test. And so you yeah. forget it. It's not like there's this big accumulation of knowledge exactly. over right. time and, and, and third grade builds on first grade and, on second grade. And then uh, it doesn't, it doesn't build that way, you know, it, and, and, this is also I'm sure why I believe why kids can go on to college who haven't taken any courses before. Mm-hmm. The college professors don't assume that you remember anything from high school. They start, you know, they're teaching at a faster and more sophisticated level and a mm-hmm. more interesting level perhaps, but they're not assuming that that you are coming in with knowledge of the subject from mm-hmm from high school they're assuming that they've got to start from scratch and they're also to be honest they're arrogant enough to believe that the teachers taught it wrong anyway and so they're going <laughs> to teach it the right way from the beginning so just you know people just shouldn't worry about it. the the other thing the other thing that's of significance you know how people talk about summer slide in uh, Mm -hmm. between between the end of one school year and the beginning of the next school year there's this idea that children lose a lot of their academic skills Mm -hmm. and and uh, and then have to relearn it and this has led some people to argue that we should have school all through the summer so that you don't lose those academic skills you know my argument is if that's true well, you're going to lose it as soon as you leave school anyway. And does this mean we should just keep people in school their whole lives because they're (laughs) going to (laughs) lose it? And it must mean it was learned in a pretty shallow way to begin with if you're Mm. just going to forget it over the summer. The the truth of the matter is I've actually looked at the data on summer Mm. slide. There actually have been some studies. It's not just word of mouth. There's some studies. And what the studies show – is overall there's no summer slide in reading reading Mm -hmm. actually improves over the summer at least as fast as it improves during the school year there's a summer slide in arithmetic and math if you are testing it by the standard school methodology of testing. So Mm -hmm. doing school math, you know, like can you do, do you remember how to do long division without a calculator? You know, can you, Mm -hmm. can you, do do you remember your timetables? All the kind Mm -hmm. of stuff that depends on memorizing a method of doing things, memorizing Mm -hmm. information, that tends to slide, although it's regained very quickly the next year. Mm -hmm. What doesn't slide is mathematical reasoning. And, in fact, that Mm -hmm. increases during the summer. I I found three studies that actually assessed mathematical reasoning, Mm -hmm. the ability to solve story problems, the ability to make real-world use Mm -hmm. of mathematical Mm -hmm. concepts. That actually increases over the summer. I found three studies showing that increases at a faster rate than it increases during the school year. And to me it 's not surprising because when you 're not in school you 're you might be doing real things that involve numbers you 're mm-hmm. cutting recipes in half, helping your mom cook or you 're measuring boards or you 're paying your room and figuring Mm -hmm. out how much paint you've got to buy or or, or you're playing games that involve Mm -hmm. numbers or and even computer games I shouldn't say even computer games in some sense especially computer games some of them involve rather sophisticated math Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, you've got to calculate I one mom told me one unschooling mom told me about her kid who uh, plays this game where he has to calculate uh, compound interest rates in order to learn how much he's figure out how much he's making on his investments in this game. And this mm-hmm. is for like a ten year old kid, right. and he's got to he's got to be able to convert between different currencies. Oh, wow. <laughs> know how much he's got wow. if he's spending it in this foreign country right. or that foreign country. Hmm. But, um, you know, so this is math that is real, this is math that is meaningful to him in the context yeah. of the game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he's learning these things in a way that he knows what they are. That it's mm-hmm. meaningful to him. So this is this is mathematical reasoning, and so so this is this is mathematics learned in a context in which you're going to remember exactly it because it's meaningful. You know what it's for. Yeah. So that's so this is what this is the difference. The difference between. Uh, one of the differences really between self-directed education, whether it's unschooling mm-hmm. or at a democratic school, and s- school at school. So when mm-hmm. you're doing school at school, you're learning to pass a test. <laughs> yep. And, and, and that's all you really care about is passing mm-hmm. the test. And you are learning it in a memorized way because you need to feed it back mm-hmm. in it, pretty much in the way it was taught to you. You're not bothering to think about it that's just mm-hmm. a waste of time <laughs> right. because if you think about it you might think about it and give it back to the teacher in a way that's different and the teacher won't understand that and will mark it wrong exactly. <laughs> you know I've seen yep. that over and over mm-hmm. again that, well, that drove my, son crazy. my I mean, the, most. He was the kid. Yep. so <laughs> you know so you yeah. learn to be shallow about mm-hmm. it you learn not to think yeah. about it. But if you're, if you're painting your room and you don't want – you have to figure out how much paint to buy, mm-hmm. well, you better figure out, you know, what, a, what square feet really means and how to divide um, right. <laughs> the number of square feet that a gallon of paint will cover by that number of square feet. And mm-hmm. now you know what square feet – what the concept of a square number is, and now you know right. what div- multiplication is, and now you know mm-hmm. what division is because you've done it in the real world.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. And it does, it sticks. Versus, it sticks. right. Yeah, we have a, comment, a couple of comments, one comment and a question from one of our viewers on YouTube, um, But because you were talking about sleep and she said, my children have grown taller because they're getting more sleep.
1: <laughs> that I, That's, I've heard that from others too. I heard somebody wrote in and they told me after two months of, of the lockdown that, her son had grown four inches or something like that. That might be an exaggeration of something. Like, it was some amazing amount. I mean, and here's how I believe it. You know, One of the things we know about stress is that it actually does inhibit growth. Uh, stress yeah. can produce high levels of uh, cortisone. We know there's actually okay. studies showing that especially young children are producing high levels, stress levels of cortisone when they're going to school. And um, at high enough levels, that can actually inhibit growth. So you can imagine that the relief from that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, now there's kind of a regenerative spirit of growth. I believe mm-hmm. it. I, you know, it would be interesting to have systematic data on it, be. but it I, would I believe be an interesting this.
0: study. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, the other question she had, I don't know if you want to answer it or if you want me to field it, but she asked, um, do unschool kids have to pass a standardized exam every year in the USA? <laughs>
1: no not that's not the case now there of course i have to say that the rules differ from state to state yes, exactly. but in most states and in most um and even differs in how the rules are enforced from school district to school district mm-hmm. but my experience with homeschooling parents is that is that um generally speaking there's no requirement to take standardized tests um, there may be a requirement to report uh, periodically to a school administrator. And usually that report involves some kind of report that puts into school-like language what your child is doing. And so parents get good at at translating what their child is doing into um, you know history and geography, and <laughs> mathematics and science. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in in general that and there are many many school districts that don't really even check up at all. They're they're just fine. and well,
0: for the states that do require standardized tests, they don't require you to turn them in. They are because, um, like in Minnesota, that's a requirement. Although. They only say if your child falls below the 30th percentile in any subject, that you make a change in how you're teaching them in that subject. I see. Um, so they... but, but there's, it's it's very minimal. There are some states like Oregon where you do have to, if your child falls below a certain percentile, you have to develop a plan and submit it to the school district. But it is a state-by-state thing. So, uh-huh. yeah. Most states don't require it. Um, but actually, we have a whole blog on our website about state testing requirements. Oh, so good. You can, you can yeah, look good. for that. I'm sure that's helpful. So that'll be helpful. So, you know, as um, as we have parents thinking about this, do you have any ideas for how? parents can increase their child's opportunities for free play and um encourage free play learning in their homes because we're all stuck in this school mentality that's how we were all raised um how do we get beyond that and and kind of open those doors for learning in our homes
1: right yeah, so of course right now with COVID, it is largely in your homes. If it yeah. were not for mm-hmm. COVID, I would be saying, let's not talk about in your homes, let's talk about outdoors. Exactly. Um,
0: well, and there is the one exception, if you want to develop a, like a, a homeschool pod with some families that you have yeah. an agreement with, with, you know, a couple families
1: too. Yeah, and, and people are doing that, and mm-hmm. there there are, there are also ways that kids can play while social distancing, mm-hmm. Um i've seen examples of it um and there are things you can play i've seen you know this past this uh in the spring you know in when schools first closed um I'm a big bicyclist and I would go out bicycling and I never saw kids bicycling before. And suddenly I yeah, began to see exactly. lots of kids bicycling. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, in Massachusetts by state, uh, the bicycle stores is all sold out. People were selling used bikes at outrageous prices, you know, because everybody wanted to buy family. I saw, fa- I saw people teaching their kids, parents teaching their oh, kids to awesome. ride bikes. I'd never seen that before uh-huh. around here. So and so, then I began to see kids riding bicycles, social distancing while riding. I also saw, you know, some of the old games that I used to play as a kid that mm. with my siblings and friends, uh, like badminton. You don't have to get close to one another to play yeah. badminton in the uh-huh. lawn. You know? And so, there are things that I began to see more. I began to see many more kids outdoors than I had yeah. before because they were home mm. from school. And they had free time and they were, and they were, they were bored inside and they were mm-hmm. going out to play. And so I think that the, in my mind, the, the primary requirement for play, the primary resource for play for children is other children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is the resource that in our culture today, not irrespective of COVID, but before mm-hmm. COVID, and it's going to be true, and it's true now, and it's going to be true after COVID, that we are a world in which for the first time in the history of humanity, children don't have easy and free access to other children to play with away from yeah. adults. Mm-hmm. The hist- In the history of humanity, children have always spent huge amounts of time playing with other children away from adults and that's where much of the most important learning occurs and the reason it occurs is because there's no adults interfering Mm -hmm. there's no adults solving the problems so the kids have to solve the problems themselves and they learn how to solve the problems Mm -hmm. they learn how to initiate their own activity without some adult doing it for them they learn how to negotiate with their peers so that they can they can play something they all want to play. They learn how to deal with that bully down the street. You know, mm-hmm. how, how, what are we going to do about, you know, without some parent solving the problem, they learn how mm-hmm. to deal with the realities of the world. That's how children learn how to do it. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I've often say is that when, when there's an adult around children are children, but when there's no adult around children have to be the adults. Yes. Children have to, Children have to take responsibility. They have Mm -hmm. to figure out how to do things, and they're pretty good at it. (laughs) But they need the experience of doing it, and that's why they need lots of opportunity to play away from adults. That's why children, by the age of four, children want to spend at least some time away from adults with other kids. By the time Mm -hmm. that they're six, seven, eight, and certainly by the time they're teenagers, they want to be away from adults with their friends a lot of the time and we live in a world where we don't give them that opportunity and we're Mm -hmm. stunting their social and emotional and I would add intellectual development Mm -hmm. by virtue of not uh, of creating a world in which that doesn't happen the only way they can get together with their friends largely speaking away from adults is online Mm -hmm. And thank goodness they can at least do that. And now there are parents who want to ban them from that, (laughs) right? So, you know, you take that away and you've you've really destroyed children's opportunities to interact with other children away Mm -hmm. from adults. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, we, we put so many limits on it. It was funny that my daughter's friend came over and they were going to take the car and drive across Houston, which is dangerous. And she said, well, what time do you want us back? And I said, well, before curfew, that's fine. And she goes, well, when's curfew? And I said, well, midnight. And she's like, oh, really? I mean, <laughs> I was that was like a new concept to her, you know, because I guess her parents had pretty tight rein on her and yeah. she was going to stay over at our house. And I said, no, I trust you yeah um and I know in your book you talk about that trustful parenting um can, right. you, can you delve into that just a little bit?
1: yeah, so I mean, trustful parenting is really is really um recognizing that your child is capable, mm. you know. Your child isn't capable of everything, but your child is a lot, is capable of a lot more than you might think. (laughs) Mm. And it is trusting your child to have, you know, children have a lot more sense. One way I I present this to often to parents is think about yourself as a child. And I think most parents, when you think back, you know, what was I like when I was six or seven or 10? Or what, what was I like? What was I thinking? What was I doing? And i think you I think that when when you really delve into that, you were pretty sophisticated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you really were you know you might you might have done some stupid things, but you still do stupid things <laughs> right? exactly. you, know, you weren't all that different then than you are now yep. <laughs> you know some of my research, as you might know, has been uh looking at at how. Uh, children in hunter-gatherer cultures are treated mm-hmm. and how they live. And I, I haven't uh, had the opportunity to study a hunter-gatherer culture directly myself, but I've mm-hmm. studied, I've surveyed anthropologists. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is that hunter gather cultures, wherever they've studied, they consider children at around the age of four to have common sense Mm. and when a child has common sense then adults don't have to watch them all the time the child is capable of remembering rules the child is capable of taking pretty good the child isn't going to go walking off into the jungle and pet a tiger you know or the Mm -hmm. pick up a poisonous snake the child can remember those things and the Mm -hmm. child has enough sense not to do something truly dangerous that's their assumption Mm -hmm. now When I was a kid in Minnesota in the 1950s, by the time I can't say for sure about four, but by the time I was five, I could go anywhere in town. I could go, I could ride my bicycle anywhere in town. And if I went with my six year old friend who was a bit older and wiser than me, we could go out of town on our bicycle. So, so there was that also that sense that, you know, I wasn't going to do something crazy and nor is your child. But, Mm -hmm. but you have to, You have to start off with the assumption that your child has common sense that your child is capable of these things another change that's occurred over the years that i've seen it used to be that so you you recognize that there's dangers out there you do recognize that there's Uh dangers and the way that we use the parents used to deal with that fact is they would teach the children about dangers and how to deal with them Mm-hmm. So uh, here, here's here's an example actually from my own experience, which um, when I was uh, when I was four years old, we we were living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, big city. Mm-hmm. We were living in a working class neighborhood on a very busy street, and. Um, And I remember my grandmother decided, and I would have been four years old. I know because we moved out of Minnesota by the time I was five, out of Minneapolis by the time I was five. So I had to have been four years old. I remember my grandmother deciding that it was time that I was old enough to be able to go and do some of the shopping myself. (laughs) To go yeah. and buy, to be honest, what she wanted me to do was to be able to go down and buy cigarettes for her. So, <laughs> this was years ago, right? right so, exactly. <laughs> you know, so she taught me how to cross the street. She walked with me down to this, you know, this candy and cigarette store, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and she showed me how to cross the street. And we walked back, and then she said, "Okay, now you're ready to do it yourself." And she sat, wow. and and she said, "And here's a nickel; you can buy a popsicle, and come mm-hmm. back." And she sat, she sat, and watched me on the stoop mm-hmm. as I went, and I, you know, I waited for the for the red, I waited for the walk light, the green light to cross the street. I was being very careful, just uh-huh. as she taught me to be. And I bought the Popsicle and walked back. Now, this was a huge achievement. I felt very proud of it. Yeah. And then from then yeah. on, I could buy cigarettes for her. So, <laughs> you know, so I'm not promoting buying cigarettes, but I am promoting right. teaching your children how to cross the street and then mm-hmm. letting them cross the street. Uh, there are kids who are 10 years old who aren't allowed to cross We. It used yeah. to be that when by the time you're ten you could be a traffic guard who was helping younger children cross the street as they walk to school. Now you're not yeah. allowed to cross this not only are not you not a traffic guard, but you're not allowed to cross the street. But you know yeah. to be driven to school or take a school bus. This mm-hmm. is this is absurd. I mean we are so underestimating children's mm-hmm. abilities. for trustful parenting is recognizing children are much more capable than than we think they are than yes. our culture thinks they are
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and to and to trust your child also is giving your child some important messages it is telling your child i believe in you mm-hmm. i believe in your ability i believe in your morality i believe you're going to make mistakes, but we all make mistakes, and you'll learn from those mistakes. I believe you will learn from those mistakes. Yeah. No, that doesn't mean that we're going to give them loaded guns. <laughs> you know that's crazy. <laughs> you know the hunter gatherers <laughs> let the kids play with with uh, with bows and arrows and uh, and and uh, and and sharp knives and fire. Because they're not going to kill themselves with that. But the poison darts are kept way, way away from the little kids because right. with that, you'll kill yourself. Mm-hmm. But we don't make this distinction. We we assume, you know, if you could get hurt doing something, then we're, we're not going to let you do it. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. there are kids who aren't allowed to use the stove at home or to use a mm-hmm. sharp knife to cut their meat or to mm-hmm. they're truly parents who prevent their child from doing that because they're afraid they might cut themselves. Well, maybe they will cut themselves or maybe they'll burn themselves, but mm-hmm. so what, you know, the body is amazing you, at healing you, up. You and you that's how you learn, right? You learn
0: very quickly when you do You that. learn very
1: quickly. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's,
0: that's such a good point. And, um, and, and it, it does like you you had said it, it gives your your children the understanding that um that you believe in them and i, I mean, we can say it to our kids but um they truly don't think we do believe in them until we do take that step back and actually show them we believe in them
1: right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. and you need and you know the you need to be able to do things in order to prove to yourself that you can do them, whether it's climbing trees or whether it's, you know, whether it's riding your bicycle around the block and to your friend or whether it's all of these things, children, that's how children grow up. That's the sort of meaning that this nonprofit that I'm involved with let let go and let them grow. That's kind I'm of put that what that, up that there. means. It's
0: letgrow.org, let right?
1: Yeah, letgrow.org. That's the whole point of this. Let your kids go. Don't hold on to them all the time. Let them go and let them grow. They need they need space to grow. They need space away from you to grow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, so true. And there, there's a lot of good resources on that website for you to use as a, a parent. To, um, to help your kids, and I also wanted to point out your your other website um, for the other nonprofit, the Alliance for Self Directed Education. Um, that's www.self-directed.org. Can you tell us a little bit about what's on that website?
1: Yes. Yeah, so well, this is an organization that um, has that's really designed to promote self-directed education, um, including democratic schooling um, the, of all sorts, where ch- the kinds of schooling, schools and learning centers that are set up to mm-hmm. where children are in charge of their own learning there. Um, and the staff members are there just to help if they want help. Right. Um And there's a big community of kids. One thing about one advantage of a school or a learning center like that is there's a community of kids. So there's Mm -hmm. kids who can play with one another, and the staff don't follow them around. The staff don't. So and also on schoolers very much involved. So there's a there's a resource directory there, a searchable resource directory that where you can you can find um, organizations uh, of you can find groups of. On-schoolers, you can find Mm -hmm. schools for self-directed education, learning centers, you can find books and articles about it. Um, So that's one of the values of the organization. The organization also um, has been involved in forming um, clusters, helping form clusters of people who are involved with on-schooling. So people who um, you can learn uh, through as the about other people who are doing unschooling in your area, mm-hmm. if you're an unschooler, That's so great. that you can get together with them. That's mm-hmm. often very important, not just for the yeah. kids, but it's also often very important for the parents, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of the major difficulties with unschooling is that. Not very many people understand it, and so you're constantly having to explain it to people. Right. You're constantly on the defensive about it. Mm-hmm. You're trying to justify it, maybe even to your own parents, mm-hmm. who, who believe yes. you're ruining their grandchildren, right? Or they, yes. or to, or to your own sisters or brothers, or to the neighbors, or even mm-hmm. the strangers who question what you're doing. Right, you exactly, know? And, <laughs> and, and and it's very hard to do something that runs so much against the cultural norm mm-hmm. and so in order to in order to do that it's very valuable to be connected with other people who are also doing that doing what you're doing and who can share information who can share ideas who can it's nice if you've got if you've only got little kids it's nice to know somebody who's uh, already got a grown-on schooler who can tell you, yeah, my kids went through that, and yeah. now look, they're uh-huh. doing this and that, mm-hmm. and it's, it's reassuring. To, so you're now part of a community that has a different norm, a different way of talking about kids, exactly. and you no longer feel like you're such an odd one out, like you're doing this really <laughs> right. risky, strange, weird thing <laughs> that <laughs> everybody's pointing their fingers at you. At least mm-hmm. now there's some people who are with you on this, yeah, and, exactly. and that's very helpful. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just need yeah. that
0: encouragement. So true. Yeah. And then your book, free to learn, can be found on Amazon, um, and I yes. do highly recommend that. A lot of um, what Peter has talked about tonight is in there, plus even more to expand on that. Because of course, one hour doesn't <laughs> give us even close enough time. And then you have a blog also on Psychology Today called Freedom to Learn right. blog. So if you just go to Psychology Today and search for that, otherwise the URL is up on the screen if you're watching the video. Um, yeah, and I, I saw that some you have some blogs with COVID-related um, topics and then some- um,
1: Yeah, that, uh, that study that I mentioned that we did it through the Let Grow group uh, on um, that large survey, we actually did it twice. Um, and the the results of that, I I have two uh, blog posts, re- relatively recent blog posts that describe the results of that for people who are interested. Um, but there's many, there's something like one hundred and eighty <laughs> posts there, essays there by now that deal with awesome. all kinds of issues regarding play and regarding mm-hmm. trustful parenting and ways of uh ways of finding ways for kids to get together in today's world and, mm, and really mm. play with other kids um, how can how can that be done in today's world or yeah, uh, essays yeah. on that so um,
0: that's good because yeah and parents have enough things to to worry about that sometimes it's nice just to have an expert they tell you how do I do this exactly? <laughs> and sometimes the nitty gritty day to day in and day out um, is what what they want to know. So, um, well, I just want to thank you, Peter. This has been so insightful, and thank our viewers for for joining us as well. Um, thank for those of you that shared some comments and questions. I know there was one one comment. Um, one of our facebook peers, she goes let go and let them grow (laughs) so um yeah i hope that's a a big takeaway from from our hour here and um, i just want to thank you again peter for your time just to share with us Um, and i hope it's encouraged many and maybe caused them to take their toes and and just leap off a little bit into the less traditional homeschooling mode, or maybe even if their kids are in the virtual learning world right now, that this might be something that's much needed for them. um,
1: Okay, well, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to talk with you.
0: Uh, um, and uh, I want to let all of you know that um, this is just the beginning of this month on um, teaching methodologies. So next week we are actually going to talk about um, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> the Charlotte Mason um, method with um, Sonia Schaefer. Sh- and so we'll be back again next Tuesday night, same time, 8 o'clock central, to talk about. Um, that methodology as we continue this theme through the month, and also uh, we just want to thank you for our viewers and the sponsors of Sped Homeschool for um, providing funds to make this broadcast happen. If you'd like to donate to Sped Homeschool, you can go to our website at spedhomeschool.com and click on donate to continue our supporting our efforts. But um, we just want to thank you for um, joining us for this hour, and we'll see you all again next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Okay. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.